We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender HD, your buddy Blenderhead. And this is the show where you should know this by now. We'll review yesterday's slate a little bit. We'll talk about today's big 14 game slate. Oh, it's big. It's big tonight. We'll talk a bit, a bit about that. And, uh, and I answer your strategy questions. As, as usual, if you're here in the YouTube chat, I see you guys, Max Coach One, Plan B Smoothies. Plan B Smoothies? I want Plan A Smoothies. What do Plan B? It seems like I'm getting a secondary smoothie. I don't know. That's why I drink the apple juice. Click on that thumbs up button. Keep my apple juice cold. Keep keep the Plan B Smoothies cold. Is it cold smoothies? I don't know. Plan B? Sounds secondary. Wouldn't you want to be Plan A Smoothies? What's plan B? I don't know. Explain that to me, dude. Suki Singh is here. Brian Seymour, Jupocalypse, GR Sauceda 12, Mike Blaze, Daniel Hutchings, all the smoothies drink. The plan B, plan B smoothies. That's your second choice. That's what it sounds like. Who would name their company that? Plan B smoothies. In case you, it's the second thing that you chose chose to have. It doesn't sound too good. You always need a plan B, according to the chat. Okay, maybe maybe you do. And sometimes in GPPs, I need a plan C, plan D, plan F, plan G, right? Sometimes you need that. Yesterday was kind of, uh, yesterday didn't work out. <laughs> yesterday, uh, we had a five-game slate, so it's, it's small. We had uh, that game in Wrigley, the Cubs-Mets game, which had a little bit of wind, eight to 10 mile an hour blowing out, so... That gave them a boost, but of course they need to hit the ball in the air and that didn't happen all that much. So that game kind of dudded out. Uh, We had uh, Bueller, Sanchez. I mean, the combination, the trial combination of pitcher was going to be Bueller plus Sanchez, Bueller plus Pavetta. 
or a combination of Sanchez plus Pavetta. And then, of course, uh, Christian Javier comes out and strikes out nine guys in four innings. So you're pretty much going to need him. Uh, the Mariners were somehow way chalkier, way more owned than I thought they were going to be on, on DraftKings. Because I think I, what I tried to do yesterday on DraftKings is, like I like I especially on, on smaller slates, I like attacking the chalk SP2s. So am I going to stack against Bueller? No, probably not. But Sanchez and Pavetta. So I played, I played some Marlin stacks against Sanchez. I played some Mariner stacks against Pavetta and neither of them worked. And neither of them worked. And uh, Pavetta ended up giving up. I mean, he didn't strike out enough people. I mean, he gave up two runs, didn't get the decision. And then he, then, then he came out uh, at, after what, 86 pitches or something. And then Sanchez came out after like 70 pitches or something like that. 67 after pitching great for six innings or five for five innings. I don't know. So he only scored 17 points. Pavetta only scored 15 points. Bueller scored 27, even, even without the, without the win. And then like the, the Astros were the best stack, but like there was no like must have type of scores. Like Devers put up 24, Hanniger put up 24. There were multiple ways for you to get, the first place, like you didn't need, like you didn't like need, need everyone. Like we see, we see here the first place lineup. It's going to be a Houston stack because I mean, Bregman, Correa, like if you, if you played four or five guys from the Astros, most likely you had double digits in all of them. But like, like, look, Jesus Aguiar, two points, still in the winning lineup, right? Bueller, Javier, Javier, Javier. Verdugo, I mean, yeah, he had two steals, right? Like the Boston stack didn't come through. Devers, Verdugo, that's about it. Same for the Dodgers. The Dodgers didn't do much. I mean, not no one really did that much. So you take a look at a hub bro who came in second. Right. Well, he just double digits. Straw, right? He had they had the Houston stack, which they all had double digits. Javier Sanchez. And then there you go. Finds out here's the Mets, right? Alonzo had a home run. Hanniger had 24. I mean. There was no like guy with like 37 points that you needed on a five game slate. Even the single bullet lineup over here. Yeah, this is like a messy lineup. Because like messy lineup could have won, right? You have Hanniger, Verdugo, Devers, but then just kind of a mess. Could have gotten there. It's a little bit a little bit behind. Derek, this this guy. Right, here's the Houston stack. One, two, three, four. Basically just a four man. No, five man. Right, there you go. Five man Houston is the winner. Did you need it? No, but I mean that was the easiest way. Most lineups are gonna look like that. E. Hafner, same thing. Houston stack. Then Verdugo Verdugo one off. Two Miami guys that didn't matter. Pretty much Houston. The ownership on Houston was pretty low. I played some Houston stacks. The Bregman, eleven percent for Bregman. I thought that was way too low. Correa, 7%, because, I mean, you had Lindor there, you had Bryant, you had Seager, you had Devers, you had a lot a lot of people in those positions. It was very easy. You, you were now, I mean, you, Alvarez didn't do much. He had five points, but Tucker, Alvarez, I thought the Astros were under-owned yesterday. That's why I played him. Here's another Ahubro lineup, another Houston stack. One, two, three, four, five. Rizzo, zero. Renfro, five. Pollock, 16. With Bueller, Javier. 
paying up twice at pitcher, which is the direct opposite of what I did, <laughs> right? I paid down twice, then paid up for expensive stacks. When I didn't pay down, when I didn't pay up, I paid down for the the, the Mariners. I just didn't realize the Mariners were going to be that that owned. I mean, they were owned owned on DraftKings on fan same for FanDuel. Hanniger was nineteen percent. It's not like Hanniger was that cheap. He was forty one hundred. Ty France, okay, second base position was weak yesterday. I get it, but Kyle Lewis was sixteen percent because they were cheap. I just thought that was leverage off of Pavetta. I mean, Pavetta's 35% owned. Why is Seattle also that owned? They were the second highest owned team on the slate, I think. I think the Mets, maybe maybe tied with the Cubs. The Mets were one, the Cubs were kind of two, and then, then Seattle. I didn't think the Seattle was going to be completely sneaky, but I think with Pavetta being 35% owned, they wouldn't be the third most owned slack, uh, stack on the entire slate. But I guess that's what people did. Say, I'm going to play Bueller and Sanchez and then stack against Pavetta rather than play the Marlins against Sanchez because it's not like the Marlins were owned. The Marlins were pretty low owned, right? Chisholm was only 10% owned at a weak middle infield position yesterday. Right? I didn't gauge it well enough. If I knew the Seattle was going to be that owned, I would I, I would have just not played him and just played Pavetta. I would have played more Marlins and lost. I mean, so that's... That, that's that's the only difference. Because so I would have played a lot of Pavetta and then just stack against Stan- Sanchez, and that didn't get anywhere. But this is why you need to review stuff. I mean, I saw that last night. I checked ownership uh, once the once the game's locked. I'm like, why why is Seattle disowned? Like I had a, like I had like a four man stack. I was playing mid stakes yesterday. I had like a four man Seattle. I had like a four four lineup on DraftKings that I hand-built, and I'm like, why is Hanniger Hanniger 20% owned? What's going on here? I'm like, okay, I I misjudged this. Because even even the RG ownership projections didn't have them that high. Didn't have them, like, low, low. But, like, 8 to 10%, and it was, like, double that. Because everyone else had the same idea. We all didn't get there. Looking through the YouTube chat. My question for the day, am I sure this has been covered in the past? Is there an easy way to set Minnesota levels or minimum levels of a team you want lineup HQ to stack? I find I have to choose key players at a minimum level and hope for the best. No, you just use the stacks page. Just use the stacks page. Dude, look up here. Stacks. You can set whatever exposure on the stacks you want. These are maxes. Right here you go. What type of stacks do you want to have? What percentage of them? And then here's all the teams. You don't have to use player groups. You don't have to use player exposures. Just use the stacks page. You want the minimum amount? We'll have them all equal 100. And there you go. You get the minimum. This isn't complicated. Exclude the ones that you don't want. I've never had a problem getting minimum. I, that to me, that's the that's the opposite problem to have. Setting the max is hard. That that's that's the hard, to get it to stop giving me stacks that I don't that I I don't want as much of. So you have to you have to make sure it all adds up to a hundred. If it adds up to a hundred, it's going to try to come close to that. So there you go. Like oh, I want a minimum of a low projected Cleveland stack or something. 
Well, if everything's equal to 100, it's going to put Cleveland at eight. It's going to give you 8% because that's, these are the maxes. So it's going to try to, it's going to try to give you a ton of uh, what's today. What's it going to give you a ton of Philadelphia or something in cores or whatever. Maybe Boston, that Boston Seattle game. It's going to just jam that in. But if you, if you max them at like six or something, it's only going to give you max six and it's going to move on. So as long as you equal like a hundred, around 100 it's going to try to give you as what exactly what you want it to give you so i don't think you don't have to worry about the player exposures minimum for a minimum so no you don't have to do that that's why i was i, I didn't i didn't get the question the problem usually is in the max not the min getting the stacks is the easy part you just max you you cap everything else it's not that complicated. J10 asks, Blender, yesterday you mentioned percentage of prize payouts per contest and what determines not only which lineup you put in, but which contest you enter. Can I elaborate on which contest a beginner of GPP should enter? It depends what types of contests you want you want to play. Best thing to do, best thing to do is play, play anything on the cheaper, cheapy cheap. One dollar, quarter arcade, stuff like that. But you have to cater to the field size. It's not the stakes dollar contest. Dollar contest with 100 entries is different than a dollar contest with 15,000 entries. One's not better or worse from a, for a beginner. That doesn't matter. But a $1 contest, single entry, $1, 584 entry, single entry contest, you, you treat as a single entry, $1, 584 entry contest versus a max 13,000 entry contest. Skill level doesn't matter, but it's two totally different types of lineups. You're going to play large field stuff, play large field lineups. You're going to play small field stuff, play small field lineups. Regardless. Doug Montgomery says a lot of touts on Seattle yesterday to go against Chalk Pavetta. Yeah, but it makes sense. I don't blame anyone. There's a little bit more more than I thought, right? Because it makes because it makes sense. You see, it's a five game slate. Where else are you going to find relative value? That's the easiest place to do it. Typically, at a chalky SP two, and the two ones were Pavetta and Sanchez, and people apparently went against Pavetta more more so than Sanchez. Sanchez has walk problems, but Miami people don't like playing the Marlins, right? I don't think people necessarily like playing the Mariners. But typically when you hear the Mar- oh, Marlins, I don't mind. But look at that Marlins lineup and go, how am I, how am I playing these guys? And they're, play- and they're playing in San Francisco, which is a, you know, perceived as a, as a heavy pitcher's ballpark. They'd rather, they'd rather play Seattle in Fenway. I guess that makes sense. Michael Ligenfelter says, on a slate like last night where Seattle leverage was a lot more on what do you do with that info moving forward? How, we, how can we get a sense for these types of situations? Is there any way to predict that? No, not necessarily. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes people are looking for a contrarian route and everyone tends to go in a similar direction. We see that all the time. Like we'll see on, we'll see on tonight's slate. It's a 14 game slate. So I don't think there's going to be like super duper chalk, but I mean, we got that course game. And I, th- I think I think on DraftKings, like on FanDuel, the Phillies are not going to be as owned. 
The FanDuel priced them up. The DK didn't. Like if I take a look at the bat stacks page, let's see, this is DK. Yeah, Philly comes up pretty high point per dollar wise, but nowhere near as high. Like point per dollar wise, where are the Phillies? Like all the way down here, right? They don't even show up in the top 1,000 stacks on FanDuel. So on FanDuel, they're expensive. Like McCutcheon is like 3,700 on FanDuel. Like they priced them up for cores, but we take a look here on uh, this is DraftKings. Let's go. Where where's the, where are the Phillies? Right, they just forgot about them pretty much. McCutcheon thirty nine hundred, Hoskins forty six hundred, Harp. I mean Harper's fifty seven hundred, but he's normally up there. Bohm is thirty five. Brad Miller's three K. Even Moniac is twenty three hundred. Like I think the Phil the Phillies are are going to get some ownership today. We have a bunch of we we have a bunch of uh, you know ace pitchers today, but yeah, sometimes what ends up happening is that let's say for instance the Phillies are like oh everyone's going to play the Phillies and then they just find somewhere else to play and they that, the chalk team actually goes under owned because everyone's like no everyone's going to play them so they they don't right sometimes you see that should I have known that more people were going to go to Seattle yesterday I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't think they were sneaky. But they were like twice as owned as I thought they would be. Sometimes that happens. If I would have known that, I would have just not played them, played more Pavetta and played more like Houston. Right? Or the Cubs. More people were on the Mets side. But still, the, Cub, the Cubs were owned also more than I thought. Baez, 25%. Bryant, 23%. Bodie was 16, like Bodie was 16%. Both of the Mets side would be way more owned than the Cubs. Right, Rizzo was even lefty-lefty. Rizzo was 15% owned. So yeah, I guess so. It's a five-game slate. There's not many ways to, there's not many ways to go. But yeah, I misjudged ownership. It wouldn't have mattered. Anything I would have done differently would have, would have landed me in the same spot anyway. I was already not going to play a lot of Walker Bueller. I was already, I was not, I was not going to play Christian Javier. So what, what am I doing? Just playing more Red Sox then? The Red Sox weren't as owned on, on DraftKings because they were way expensive. But I could afford them. So great. So I play five-man Red Sox stacks and still lose. It's not like it mattered. Let's see. Jesus' assessment of Pavetta could have moved percentage. No, the, 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 GR saw say to 12. Uh, uh, I, I know, I know it's a complimentary to, to cheese or, or to any, any, any analyst here at Roto-Grinders to think that, that we, we move uh, ownership, but uh, there's, there's a lot more people that play. Like cheese's assessment of Pavetta could have moved for ownership onto Seattle. I saw top winners went with Houston Sacks, so DK to pivot from Seattle chalk. When was Seattle chalk? Seattle was never chalk. They turned out to be chalky, but they were never like proclaimed. Around the industry, the ownership on Seattle was lower. Not 1% owned, but not 20% owned. But no, they, they, there's, there's, not, there's nothing that Cheese could say in his musings in, for premium subscribers, which you could get if you click on the link in the description below. Get $10 off your first month. There are way more people that play DFS. That's like, oh, I read Cheese's article. And then that, that 
that inflates Seattle's ownership by 10%. Like that does that doesn't happen. Flattering to, to think that that many people versus the amount of people that play DF, in these DFS contests. But no, it, it doesn't may maybe a percent or two. Maybe, maybe a percent or two. Other than that, like, no, it's not going to sway ownership that much. But yeah, but like Alex Santi said, Pavetta is about as polarizing as it gets, right? I said that yesterday. I said Pavetta's high variance. It's like, I either want Pavetta or I want the team against him. One of the two. Now, on FanDuel, I played a ton of Pavetta. There's one pitcher side, and Bueller was chalk. So that's fine. But on DraftKings, of like, if people, if, if I'm, we're going to get 40% Pavetta, I'm going to play, I'm going to play some Seattle. But I'm also going to play some Pavetta. But I thought the same thing with Aaron Sanchez. I think Pavetta is a better pitcher than Sanchez. Like from a strikeout stuff type of thing. Sanchez has problems with walks also. And the Marlins were much less owned. So I did both. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Neither of them worked out. And I was planning on, on not paying up and pitching anyway. So what, what am I going to do? I played Daniel Castano in two of my lineups. He got like seven points. He got something, right? Right? He got five points. Okay. <laughs> five points. I mean, it was only 6,100. That's what I was trying to do. I was going to be on two cheap pitchers, but the winning construction was two expensive pitchers. So I'm never going to win in that scenario. Lucas Yanetsko, can you discuss how the, using the bad optimal is going in cash? That's not going that well. It's been three weeks. It's been 10% of the season. Down like 20, 25%. So doesn't matter, doesn't matter what it's doing now. I don't care. September 1st, that's all that matters to me. I just I'm gonna I barely look at it. The only the only reason I, I bring up my bankroll tracker is just to enter stuff in. It doesn't matter. Wow, it's down. Oh, it's down 18% on DraftKings. Great. This can turn positive in three slates. So what do I care? I have stocks that are down 18%. What does that matter? I'm holding on to them for 20 years. What does it matter if they're down 18%? People are way too short-term thinking. Way. I mean, way too short-term thinking. Like three weeks. Like, dude, three years is too short-term thinking. If you play GPPs for three years and played every slate... You could be the best, literally the best player in the world, the best ever to play DFS and be down $1.5 million. Okay. So three, a three-year time period, still short-term. Arguably a 10-year time period is too short-term. Okay. So understand, like I'm trying to exaggerate for a reason. Oh, I've lost, I've lost, I've lost a week straight. That's that's in comparison to, to, to nothing. That's how quick that is. It's quite possible that no human being that has played DFS since DFS was invented has a large enough sample size to have to uh, quantify their edge positively within one standard deviation. No one. Not a single person. If you were to play every contest 
on every, if you were to play every contest in every sport ever offered on every slate, ever offered since 2009, on every site ever offered in every country ever. So you play, and you played the max amount of entries. Like you maxed out literally every contest everywhere forever since DFS started the first ever contest. And let's say your ROI is 12%. That's, it's likely, that's, that, that's, it's likely you could possibly still be a losing player. Okay? So this is what we mean by low. Like that large of a sample size, which is a fraction of what a normal person would play in the scope of three to five years. That would be less than 1%. Every contest ever, ever made. Everywhere in every sport. On every slate. Turbo, tiers, everything. Literally everything. You could do that. Let's say you have a 3% ROI. Okay, something that's closer to zero. It's quite possible that you re- your true ROI is negative 5%. Even playing every contest ever, ever made. Ever, doesn't matter. You don't come anywhere close to that. Okay? So, that's what we mean. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to sample size. Oh, I think I have a large enough sample size. No, you don't. I could be a losing player. I've been playing five and a half years. I'm up almost $400,000. I have a 44% ROI in GPP. Is that sustainable? No. I could still be a loser. I, I could be an absolutely losing player. I could be. And just have gotten lucky a couple of times. It's quite possible. It's less likely than if you're down 44%, right? The, as the sample size gets larger, as the results get better, it's more and more likely, but not, but you, it's not 100%. Okay, let's see. Uh, going through the YouTube chat. How is it all just not luck then? It's math. One hand of poker is luck. 100,000 hands of poker is not luck. The thing is, you don't get 100,000 hands in DFS. There's no such thing. 100,000 slates? When could you play that many? But over 100,000 hands of poker, if you're not profitable after 100,000 hands of poker, like most likely, most likely you're bad. Or you're not good enough to be profitable. But 100,000 DFS, but you can't play. How many, how many slates do you possibly play? Because you have to consider a slate to be a hand. In poker, you're playing, if you're playing online, you're playing, you could be playing 60 to 80 hands an hour. Live, you could be playing 25 to 30 hands an hour. So you could play 100,000 hands of poker no easily. No problem. You could play these, sometimes play that with the matter of months. Right, even Alex would say, I say a million hands of poker. Right, you've, right, a hundred thousand may not still be enough. A million hands of poker. How many, how many, how many slates can you possibly play in DFS? And let's say you play every day. There's a sport going on every day. Let's say multiple, multiple sports, like 365 days a year. You play on multiple sites, so those count double. Right, right. You're playing on Bandle, you're playing on DraftKings. Maybe what? Maybe you could play 
2,000, 3,000, right? If you play three different sites, three three slates a day, four slates a day, maybe playing 10, 3,500 a year, okay? So how do you get to that million? 3,000 a year, 10 years, that's still 30,000. That's still nothing. You have to make decisions as if, you know, if we played this laid out 10,000 times, what would be the most profitable? But the amount of variance that that is in any of the, the amount of variance that's in poker, the amount of variance that's in DFS, you should never be exactly sure if you're a profitable, if you got lucky or you're profitable. That's one of the hardest things to do in DFS. You could simulate it. That's what a lot of people do. You simulate, you simulate the slate out even after the fact based on based on your projections. You say, did I make good lineups? Did I make bad lineups in comparison to the rest of the contest? Because you see a lot of bad lineups in contests. Michael Lingofenter asks, do you know if Slate IQ is using the bad X as project? No. Nothing on Roto-Grinders uses the bat. Only the bat uses the bat. Slate IQ is using their Plate IQ projections. If you want the bat, you get the bat. There you go. So on today's slate, we don't have ownership, so whatever. Let's see. Let's take a look. Using the bat projections on DraftKings. I'm assuming the Phillies. I mean, we could take a look at the stack projection page. We have Seattle, Philadelphia, the Yankees, the Tigers against Minor, point per dollar wise, the Rockies against Velasquez. Right, obviously the Coors game is going to be popular, but it is a fourteen-game slate, and obviously Jacob Degrom is going to be popular. Let's take a look at these projections. Yeah, I mean Jacob Degrom on DraftKings. I mean he's like twelve-five on FanDuel, so I don't know what's going on on FanDuel, but he's ten-nine, and he's and he's still the best point per dollar pitcher on this entire slate. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna run. 49,000. I'm going to run 150 lineups. I'm going to use just a five-man stack. That's it. The 5X. Come on. Just to see. See what comes up. I already modified my player pool. Get out of here. I said what I wanted. I wanted five-man stacks. I'm giving them to you. There you go. To get a sense. This is just using the bat projections, but get a sense of what shows up at the top. Brett Booth asks, what is a good indication to know whether you were building good plus the EV lineups? Is your process being effective or you need to retool somewhat? If you're playing GPPs, uh, a good way to determine that is by looking at your, like, your top X percent finish percentage. You should be placing more than your fair share of top 1%, top 0.5%, because your goal in GPPs is to get the top spots. Coming in and cashing doesn't matter. So you're looking for finishing percentage. Because you could show up in the top 1% and just like, it just varies. The difference between you coming in 24th and coming in third could mean, you know, it could be a triple, right? It could be not could barely anything. But you have to give yourself those opportunities. You need to put those shots on goal towards the top. Are you building lineups that are coming close to the top? Because the difference of first place and seventh place 
is dramatic. 50000 versus 1000 So $49,000 worth of difference could be three points, four points. Can you control three or four points? No. But you could control how often you're up in the mix type of thing. So viewing your GPP entries from how how much more than your fair share. So like on road, I have Roto Tracker. If I go to my Roto Tracker, I could see, I could go here. Here's my total profit graph. Uh, go to finished position. I could go to 1% buckets. And I could see, right? This is the line. Right, so this is the top 1%. I'm placing 1.8% of my entries in the top 1%. So I'm getting more than my fair share. 1.2% would be like paying the rake. 1.4% would be slight profit. So you kind of, you want as much of this as possible. You want your graph to kind of look more like this, right? Even if you go by 5% buckets, like that's not, that's not enough. A 5% finish, that could be like 200th place. 0.5% buckets, right? You can see here, I'm a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more, slightly higher, right? Point, point, I'm, my top half percent is at 0.8%. So I'm slightly 60% higher. I'm way higher than the top 1% here. This is a better way to judge, right? Top 1% finishes. How many lineups am I getting towards the top, towards the top? Whether or not they finish first or fifth, the difference of that is a lot of money, but what are you controlling? You're not controlling anything, right? That's the, someone gets a single, right? Now, the other day, Luis Arias throws the ball away. Cost me the difference of second place and first place. What, what more can I do other than try to get a lineup close, close to there? Other than that, I can't control anything. So this, this is a better way. I know some people that there are several people that I know that have played for two years and their finish percentage for the first top 1% is like 2.4%. And they've never finished first place, right? Got thirds and fifths. They're sitting there going like, I'm kind of breaking even, kind of slightly profitable, but like their finishing percentage is so high. They're getting unlucky. Just keep on playing the way you're playing. And eventually they end up binking. Six months later, they you know they take down one GPP here and another GPP there, and now they're they're wildly profitable because they're placing more lineups. They're building those lineups that get up there. So to me, that's that's a good way to judge, rather than just your straight ROI. So if you, if you're not getting enough of these, then you have to build better lineups. If you're getting a lot of these and you you're not winning, then 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 that could, that that could be unlucky. Keep on doing what you're doing and uh, it'll come at some point. Okay. So let's see if this is done. Okay. 150 lines. Yeah. 96% DeGrom. Yeah. Alex Wood. Is he going to be the SP2 of choice? Well, it's against the Marlins, right? Yeah. Tons of Phillies. Philly stacks. Let's see. Philly stacks. Let's take a look at a stack summary. Right. Phillies. Seattle. Colorado, Yankees. Yeah, and DraftKings, the, 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 the Phillies are going to be the, the highest-owned team. 
but it's a 14 game slate. So I don't know how high. Like they'll be high owned, but will they be 20% owned on a 14 game slate? Like the higher they're owned, the less you want to play them. There's 28 teams to choose from. It's going to be one of those things where people are like, oh, everyone's going to play the Phillies on a 20 on a 14 game slate. Why am I going to bother doing that? And then they end up being like 8% owned. They'll still be the highest owned team. Just like, it'll be a little bit more spread out. It could be. FanDuel's a much different story. What's going on on FanDuel? Let's run, let's run the same thing on FanDuel. I'm going to go down to two unique players. Go up to 150. Let's get these. Clear these. 33,000. Clear that. We've got this. We've got stacks. Let's do four fours. Just straight ass four fours. So what does this look like? For FanDuel. Because we're not going to get many Phillies. They're expensive. Expensive. Brett Booth, if you flash into first on a large GPP after an hour plus on the night, but don't finish there, not, that doesn't matter. In the middle of a slate? Right, because you played the first game. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> what happens in the middle of a slate doesn't matter. You close your eyes, go to sleep, and wake up the next morning. Oh, you, you, you could easily, you could come into, you could come in first in, in a large GPP every every night if you want. Just literally stack the two, the first two pitchers and the first, the hitters on both teams. You're pretty much guaranteed to come and be in first place for at least the first 10 minutes of the slate. Yeah, of course, but that doesn't mean anything. Old man Peabody, do you choose batters based on their batted ball profile? Say a batter has a high ground ball rate versus the pitcher with a high ground ball weight. Do you shy away? I, I don't I'll, I don't look at any of that. I don't look at any baseball stuff. Everything that you're talking about is already reflected in the projections. I do not choose players based on baseball stuff, based on looking at baseball stats. But I choose all my players based on baseball stats. It's just that the projection model does that for me. Jacob Calloway says, not sure how to sim baseball with the correlation. It's, it's a little bit more difficult, obviously. If Mookie does well in the sim, obviously Dodgers hitters should perform well too. Just using the projections and standard deviation doesn't account for the correlation. That's correct. All of this, all the sims that around the industry and say for RG uses individual player simulations. So just, just simulating, you know, oh, the player has a certain range of outcomes. Let's run it once. Let's run it twice. But like, Mookie Betts's simulation isn't correlated to Corey Seager's simulation. They're being simulated separately. Justin Turner's being simulated separately. But most likely, if Betts is doing well, that means the, that another guy on his team is doing well. But in the same trial, it's 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 not related to one another. So no, there's no correlation involved with that. You could look at the medians of all of them combined, but truthfully, that's not... That's not the best simulation methodology. It's the easiest one to do, and it's still better than none. But no, you'd have to you have to, you'd have to simulate the slate with the proper correlation coefficients involved, which means in, if this guy does well, then this guy also does. How much percentage more if Betts and Corey Seager may be correlated 0.4? Mookie Betts and Will Smith may be correlated 0.32. Mookie Betts and uh, Chris Taylor maybe point two one. You like you have to add those in when you if you're going to simulate based on that. Now, 
That's much more, more difficult to do. Also, there's more room for error since those correlation coefficients may not be may not be the most accurate. And once you add start, start adding more things that have a margin of error and start multiplying everything that you do together, the thing that comes out could be wildly wrong or wildly right. The, the variance is going to be much, much wider. So that's why that's why most most rejections around the industry do individual player simulations and not we have the slate iq so slate iq is a a slate simulator using the plate iq projections so that's the closest you get to that because obviously the stack projections are going to be core yeah we're looking at line now we're simulating lineups not necessarily like baseball results let's see Daniel Hutchings says, another way to get a better idea how you're doing is to create many more lineups than you need for each slate and then evaluate how you would have done on average if you could have played them all. I guess. Is that is that useful? Build a whole bunch of lineups that you don't play? If anything, just play the quarter arcade deck if, if you're able to. I mean, I can't. If you're not limited. Who wants to build lineups and not play them? Gavin Nokomovich, another win on FanDuel main slate last night. Well, congratulations. How do you attack a 14-game slate if you're only playing a handful of lineups? Well, play the, play the best ones that you, that you think are the best. If you're only playing five lineups, choose what you what you believe is the best. I can play this. You, you, you narrow it down to eight. You go, I can't play eight. I can only play three. Well, then narrow it down to three. And it can be subjective to you. Should I play this? If people are going to play that, how about I play four man this and foot like make that assessment. However many choices you need to make, make those choices. If I were building single entry, one lineup tonight, I would analyze everything, see who the most under owned team is or the place that I could get the most leverage or whatever. And then go, okay, I'm going to stack this team. Okay, done. And fit, fit whoever fits around them. And that's it. But I think the key on DraftKings today the key leverage points, the key chalk points is DeGrom and the Phillies, right, on DraftKings. So we could see, you could run it. Just run your projections. You'll see what happens. So if we look on DraftKings, we see DeGrom would a bunch of Phillies, a bunch of, a bunch of Mariners against Martin Perez, right? So this is what's... what's uh, most likely to be chalk. I don't know about Alex Wood, but if Alex Wood is chalk, maybe that means you stack the Marlins as leverage. But I don't know if any SP2 is going to be that owned on this slate. DeGrom will be. The Phillies will be on DraftKings. Now on FanDuel, okay, we're done on FanDuel. Still get a ton of DeGrom, right? Right? He's still going to be chalk at at, at 12-5. We get, a, we get a little bit more Glasnow or Darvish or something like that in there. But it takes a look. We see Seattle-Boston on FanDuel. Yeah, Seattle-Boston is all over the place. Houston, some Houston. But yeah, Seattle and Boston are, are the truck. Like Philly comes up 8%. Right, 8% here. Colorado, do they come up at all on FanDuel? No. They're, they're priced up. Doesn't mean they don't have a ceiling. They could. The Phillies can still put up 12 runs. It's just that they're more expensive 
on FanDuel. So I think that's more of the choice on FanDuel of, do you play the Phillies or do you play DeGrom? Or do you play neither? But DraftKings is pretty clear. Probably if you're playing cash games, you're going to be playing Phillies. Phillies, Phillies Mariners. Because I don't, I don't even think the Mariners are priced up enough. They didn't really move, right? Kyle Lewis is still 3,200. Coming off the DL, IL, whatever you want to call it. Right? So even if before ownership projection, just come and run run your projections. Run 150 lineups with, with some bare basic stack combination. And you can start seeing what the, what the more likely chalky lineups are going to be based on the project, obviously projected starters and everything. You don't have to wait for the projected ownership. Go, okay, I could see what people are going to do, most likely. Daniel Hutchins asks a much more complicated question than, than <laughs> most people in the, in the chat are going to be able to answer. This, this, is what, this, is what, this is what sharper players talk about. Is it possible to simulate random, normally distributed variables with a bit of linear? Yes. It, 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 the, pro- the problem when it comes to simula- simulation in baseball, especially, is that the, the baseball results, you're right. They're not normally right. They're, they're really not normal distributions. Take a look at Rugnet Odor. Can, can he get more binomial distributed than him? Odor doesn't never score six points. Right, he's always like he's always projected for six and a half or something at like two thousand. He's minimum priced six and a half. This is mean. Yeah, good luck him ever ever scoring six and a half. He scores zero or fourteen like all the time. Right, strikes out four times or hits a home run. It's one of those two. Right, say for Gallo, you see Gallo's mean projection is you know ten point one. It's like it's so like the sixty percent of that is fucking home runs. So yes, it's not a normal distribution. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's possible. It's just that it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's complicated. Is it needed? I think that's the better question. Is it needed? I don't think it's needed. Yes, you'll get a little bit more accuracy, but I think, I think even simulating individual player scoring, you're stacking anyway. So like the point is, is like factoring in the correlation to your simulations does, doesn't matter that much. It's not like it's not like you're not stacking. You are stacking as it is. So if the, if I average, if I give a stat like if I take a look at the bat page, and I look at you know the bat page for DK, and I look at you know ceiling point per dollar, right? If I look at you know the the average of all the batters combined in a five man stack or something like that, isn't that is if I were to simulate with the correlation, wouldn't it be close anyway? Right? Not going to get dramatically different results, even if you're simulating individual players. It's not going to be as accurate. I get it. Yes, you're right. It's not going to be as accurate. Am I going to come to this about the same decision? On DraftKings, if I if if I do individual player simulations, I'm going to get the Phillies to be the top point per dollar ceiling stack, right? One of them. Now, if I did it with the with did it. A more complicated way. Well, like what? The Phillies are going to come in at last play? No, they're still going to. They, they'll be number one too, right? So I don't mind sacrificing accuracy for ease. But yes, it would be more accurate. Robbie, odd question for you: Do the models take into consideration bullpen? The bat does at least. I don't know about the plate IQ projection. Most do. 
Jacob Calloway says. So in theory, with enough data and machine learning, we could figure out which players have which types of distributions, yes, and individually sim them accordingly. Yeah, but even then, that's not enough because it's you're playing stacks. You still need to put the core the correlations between the players in your simulations. Because even though we we take a guy like Joey Gallo, right? Joey Gallo has a different distribution than uh, IKF, right? Kiner Falefa, a little bit more of a slap hitter, right? But still, the more that IKF gets on base, the higher the ceiling Gallo has because Gallo bats third and Kiner Falefa bats first. So if Kiner... When Kiner Falefa has a has a better game, Gallo obviously has a higher ceiling. He's getting on base to for him to drive him in. So you have to factor that into your simulation. You can't just do individual distribution, individual distribution. You can't. I mean, you can. It's just not going to be as accurate as doing it with with all combined. I love the way that we're talking about something that I've narrowed down the audience to two people in the chat. Everyone else is like, "What the hell are you people talking about?" This is the more important stuff, right? This is the non. Once you once you could once you could get all this stuff in, into numbers, then you don't have to worry about the sports anymore. It's all taken care of. You just build lineups. You're good. First round exit says Blender. My friend is teaching his nine year old nephew the importance of defense versus position in NBA. Do I need to get new friends? Yes, that's easy. Definitely get smarter friends. Okay. Right. Jacob says in MLB, we're playing stacks. You meant more broadly for sports where correlation doesn't exist. Yes, I agree with you. Yes. Seems like Jacob and Daniel and Jupocalypse will all have a conversation. Feel free to stay in chat later after after the show. Right. We're done here anyway. Right. What else more can we talk about? It's 14 games and 28 teams to choose from. Close your eyes. Pick whatever you want. Right. Just look at the projection. I'm playing on both sites today because then they're running a cheaper GPP on, on DraftKings. So it's like $8. So I, I could play 100 lineups into that. 100 lineups on DraftKings, 100 lineups on FanDuel. Let's see how far I can miss the to miss tonight. I'll probably play 12 different stacks. So who knows? Gonna have to, gonna have to mix in Phillies. Is, is the sneaky thing on FanDuel to play the Phillies? How, how owned are they going to be even at those prices? Maybe they still will be. I'd love that to happen, right? For the Phillies to be 20% down on FanDuel at those prices? I'm hoping that they'll be lower. If they're going to be 3% down, then he'd play a bunch of them. But yeah, Brian Seymour, I'm looking at that also. The minor Tigers game, yeah. As of now, I think that's a high-variant spot. I mean, you, could always, you could always look by who projects well as a pitcher as well as the hitters. Like the Yankees against Logan Allen. I don't think Logan projects that well let's take a look so let's take a look at the pitchers point per dollar so like alex wood against miami does miami project well in the back let's let's take a look at point per dollar miami no not really not really then let's take a look at cease against texas Enoa against Arizona. Arizona and Texas today? Probably not. Arizona? No, not at all. Texas? Barely. So that doesn't seem like that much of a spot. J.A. Happ against Pittsburgh, and then Minor against Detroit. So let's take a look at Pittsburgh and Detroit. Pittsburgh, okay, not great. 
Detroit definitely comes up. So yeah, the minor projects decently, decently enough for sixty nine hundred on DraftKings, and the Tigers project pretty well. So yeah, that, that, that's a that's a higher variance spot. No, no, I would agree with you. Are people going to play Mike Minor against the Tigers? Maybe on DraftKings, like on, on FanDuel, it's going to be no one's going to be playing a cheap pitcher like that, right? On FanDuel, we take a look even point per dollar wise. Mike Miner's really cheap on, on FanDuel. I see most people just paying up for DeGrom. Because you can. The, the batting pricing is soft enough. He's projected for 50 points, medium on, on FanDuel. I mean, look at, look at the discrepancy. He projects for 15 points more than any other pitcher. On the bat, based on the bat. So, yeah. So, he, he he's going to be the chalk. Does that mean you stack the Nationals against him? No. But doesn't mean you have to play him. It's a 14-game slate. Frederick Duke says, can you discuss the correlation between the number of likes you receive and how cold your apple juice stays? I don't know how many, I don't know how many thumbs up I got, but it's getting kind of warm. So hit that thumbs up button on your way out. Thummy thumb, thummy thumb, thummy thumb. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got Grinders Live. We got NBA. We got MLB. Come up later on the channel. I'm always in the Discord. In the Discord uh, for premium members. Rotogrinders.com slash premium. Click on the link in the description to uh, to let you know. Uh, to uh, to get $10 off your, your first month. At Roto Grinders and 14-game uh, slate. Anything could happen, right? Anything. It's going to be too... Random style. Oh, it's going to be San Francisco and Pittsburgh. And 4-4, you're done. You win. It could be. I like the bigger slates. I don't like these five-game slates where, like, oh, I need to really find a way to get different. Like here, you almost almost play whoever you want. You can almost play whoever you want. So uh, we'll discuss more on Monday. As, as usual, Mondays, James McCool comes in, and we talk some strategy, more strategy-ish, you know, whatever. We maybe we talk more about the simulations. You could ask ask James some stuff. James actually runs those types of things. I don't. I use other people's stuff, right? I can run my own little basic stuff, but not like the complex stuff. So I, I don't know if you need it. I'm not sure if you need it. Uh, it's it's better, but I don't, just don't know if you need it. So you could ask those questions then. But uh, until next time, I've been I've been Jordan Cooper on a casual Friday, casually. Hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. And this has been another edition of the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.